Damas and Aaron. Part of the magnificence of this incredible place that we now call New York is the seemingly perpetual and nearly unlimited freedom that we have by which to enjoy it. In fact, this island of Manhattan has itself stood as the veritable epicenter of freedom and tolerance on God's great earth going on four centuries now. And part of what continues to fascinate me about this overall epic story are the crevices and corners of the lost history of this remarkable place. Because in examining much of those archival nooks and crannies, we come to unveil many of the things that we inadvertently take very much for granted as we, for instance, wander down McDougal Street for a cappuccino at Cafe Reggio, or marvel at the majesty of Our Lady Liberty from the Battery, or savor the bucolic brilliance of a springtime carriage ride through Frederick Law Olmsted's idyllic and unparalleled Central Park. And when we think about World War II, we conjure the imagery of the astounding evacuation efforts at Dunkirk, or the epically courageous battle at Normandy, or raising that flag on the sands of Iwo Jima. But what we don't usually conjure is the imagery of our inimitable streets of Manhattan Island. Yet on the night of February 9th, 1942, two months after Pearl Harbor, New Yorkers saw, smelled, and felt the unthinkable when a naval ship larger than the Titanic, called the Normandy, docked at Pier 88, was suddenly engulfed in flames. From right next to where our USS Intrepid sits today, flames roared up over the western terminus of 48th Street. The sky over Manhattan glowed a deep orange as scores of firefighting teams doused the gargantuan ship throughout the night. And finally successful in extinguishing the blaze, Emergency crews and citizens alike then watched in horror as the charred ship, having taken on so much water that it shifted violently to its port side, and then with a nightmarish roar, capsized, a section of it lodging in the mud at the floor of Hudson's River, and the opposite end hoisted and frozen at an 80-degree angle above the waterline just offshore. And as the sun rose over the frigid island of Manhattan on February 10, 1942, one of the nation's largest and most important vessels now lay vanquished, a stone's throw off the shore of midtown Manhattan, like a giant soldier killed in battle, an unthinkable harbinger, perhaps, a metaphoric prelude to our vulnerability in this great war, on display for all the world to see. The prevailing wisdom among naval intelligence was that this was the work of Nazi saboteurs, and the man tasked with combating this insidious threat was Navy Lieutenant Commander Charles Radcliffe Haffenden, who immediately set in motion a program that would be so top secret that almost no one else in the Navy, let alone the rest of the U.S. military, ever knew that it existed. And in the increasingly complex process of infiltrating the intricate interworkings of the ports and waterways of New York City, 
Commander Haffenden found himself partnering with the most unlikeliest of allies, the Mafia, which included not just associating with leg-breaking soldiers and toughs controlling the streets and docks of this city, but this esteemed career naval officer soon found himself face-to-face -face with Mafia Don Number 1, the chairman of Murder, Inc. himself, Il Capo de Tutti e Capi, a gangster whose reputation seems almost mythical in its stature, Manhattan's own Lucky Luciano. And what unfolds from there is one of the more astounding stories one could ever imagine, fact or fiction. But as the man himself will share with us today, every ounce of it is true. Damas and Aaron, Medame Misur, Damas y Caballeros, Signore y Signori, ladies and gentlemen, it is my honor to introduce you to the author of a New York story that is nothing less than mesmerizing, and I might add, phenomenally well researched. The title is Operation Underworld, newly released this month from Kensington Press, and its brilliant author is our guest, Mr. Matthew Black. Welcome, Anir. Thank you so much. Uh, that was a wonderful introduction. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, it's a wonderful book. Great work. My compliments. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> you uh, referenced uh, Salazzo when I said that to you on an email a couple weeks back. Yeah, I was. Well, I was wondering if you were if you were referencing that Godfather line where um, um, he's 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 looking at Robert Duvall and uh, giving his compliments at the research that he had done. Um, you know, with his connection with another family. So <laughs> yeah, I, I know the line. You that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You and I are both big Godfather fans, apparently. Yeah, yeah, certainly, certainly. Yeah, but one of the fun parts about writing this book because it goes, um, you know, into the the real history, you know, behind a, a lot of that, um, a lot of that story. Well, that's how. That's what I want to ask you. How does a guy from Seattle, who now makes his home in sunny San Diego, come to name his daughter Brooklyn and dig himself so deeply <laughs> into a, such a profoundly New York story? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, uh, yeah, my, my daughter, Brooklyn, um, she's uh, 21 months old and uh, potty training right now. But um, my, tough. <laughs> yeah, my wife's connection to uh, uh, New York is a little stronger. She was born in Queens um, and in uh, Flushing, actually, which is um, where Commander Haffenden lives, um, you know, in the book. And, um, you know, I've, I've been to New York um, a few times and um, I don't I don't know if, if my connection to New York actually gave me some, you know, uh, special, you know, ability, you know, to write it. I'm sure there are people, you know, including yourself, who have much more of a connection to, you know, Manhattan and New York. But uh, my um, my background, uh, I have a, a background in labor history. Um, and, you know, that was one of the reasons that drew me to the story um, and it, it, very necessary to understand labor unions and the role that they played um, to understand this story. Um, you know, the mafia was deeply rooted in the unions. That was one of their, their biggest rackets, you know, exploiting them. Um, and, um, you know, and back in those days, th there, there was no working with unions in New York anyway, without working with the mafia as well. Right. If they said so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. the, 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 the book takes a couple of different turns. It starts off as a spy thriller, uh, as, as I read it, and then mm -hmm. gradually segues into a story that, that for me became about the inadvertent side effects of 
warriorism or of being a warrior. And that I saw the parallels between Luciano and, and the, what had, what transpired in, in the latter years of his life and Haffenden. And were you trying to do that? Were you trying to draw such a parallel? Yeah, I think there, I mean, the, the story sort of unfolded that way. Like, you know, I didn't, I didn't set out to make it like that, but there, you know, their, their paths were, you know, aligned for so long. And then in the end they were, they were trying to get what they wanted. And, you know, it's kind of more of a sad, a sad fate for them both really uh, one being deported and then, um, you know, happened in, uh, I, I don't know how much I want to get into, you know, his ultimate fate, but um, you know, Operation Underworld has been a secret, you know, for a very long time. And, you know, you'll find that happened and felt that it was the most important thing he did with his life um, and, and not being able to share that with people and, not, you know, having people not know about it was a problem for him. Yeah, that and and you you illustrated that very well. Um, that this was his 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 magnum opus of of, of sorts. You know, uh, this right. was his big project, and he couldn't tell anyone about it. And that that was extreme, increasingly frustrating for him. And it's sort of part of him died, I think, as a result of that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's just you know something I've gleaned from um, you know folks who are a little older and who who reach a point in their life when they're really thinking about their legacy. Um, and, you know, sometimes that reflection doesn't always go like we hope, <laughs> you know, it, it would. Um, and in Happenden's case, it certainly did not. You know, when this thing goes to the, to the, to the silver, to the big screen, I got a great guy for Happenden. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, his name is Chance Kelly, and he plays that <laughs> <laughs> aging Sterling Hayden broken warrior type really well. So just keep that in mind. Nice. I was thinking Tom Hanks, but you know that. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. He's too busy. I'll I'll take care of it for you. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, you 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 explain about yourself. I think, therefore, I write. It's as fundamental as that. My process is always the journey to figure out. What the reader wants to read, and in rare instances, what the reader doesn't know they want to read. Uh, <laughs> what was it that we didn't know we wanted to read in this one? Well, I just, I think it, um, this story, you know, I, we, we, we've been marketing it as a, as a new story, you know, never been told before, um, you know, which, you know, which isn't 100% true. You know, this story was declassified years ago. Um, but the research has not been, you know, not been fully conducted. Um, and prior to the research that I did, it couldn't have been told uh, like this, you know. So this was a story that had been told before, but nobody, you know, nobody had gone into the depth of it. So nobody was reading about it. <laughs> um, and so by, by adding a lot more um, information into it and then writing it in a narrative nonfiction format, um, you know, where it sort of reads like a fiction, but of course, as you pointed out and, and, you know, I'll, um, uh, talk about too, you know, it's, it's 100% true. Um, and, uh, I guess in this instance also, it is kind of a, a, when, when you get to the themes in it, um, in the, in the topics that, you know, there are lots that, uh, appeal to a lot of people. So it, it is kind of what they want to read in that regard. I mean, you know, there's a lot of stories about gangsters and mafia, 
Um, you know, there's a lot of stories about, um, you know, spy missions, you know, and spies and, and secret agents. And um, of course, there's World War II history and Manhattan history in there as well. So, you know, there's, there's, um, it goes, it even goes into some of the battles in World War II as, as the characters um, get drawn into the fight. So it doesn't just stay with New York City, um, you know, it takes you to different theaters of combat as well. So, um, yeah, there's just there's just a lot in it for a lot of different people. Yeah, I really enjoyed that about it. And and as I said, it does at, at the beginning, it reads like a spy thriller. It could be a novel, but it's true. But then it also is funny. The book takes a lot of different turns and, and um, takes on a lot of different forms. In many ways, it's a biography in, in a lot of places. And what I really love, I think my favorite part about the book Look, I am a huge Godfather fan, but I'm not really like a, a, a mafia history guy. I don't follow it much. I'm an oddball. I don't really like <laughs> beyond the Godfather. I didn't like many gangster movies or shows. I wasn't. A, I was on the Sopranos. I was not a Sopranos fan. I see. I love Jimmy Gandolfini. I, all those actors are great. I just wasn't. The violence was too much for me. But one part of this book that I really loved was learning about murder inc and it not the not the context of what they were doing but who they were and i mean specifically lucky luciano and meyer lansky i had no idea about that i didn't even know they were both lower east side guys mm. but the way that you uh lay out their how they met as kids and the way it actually went and and what transpired it throughout their lives from thereafter and how they conducted themselves and their friendship and their business uh, in defiance of a lot of, you know, so-called traditions or mm -hmm. taboos that they were or weren't supposed to embrace. Talk a little bit about that, if you would. Yeah, certainly. So it was very important to me to stick to a few core characters, um, you know, throughout the entire book. And so Commander Haffenden being one of the you know primary characters and the other being Luciano. Um, and then, of course, you know, Meyer Lansky was this you know, his best friend um, and plays a big role in Operation Underworld. Um, so, you know, he's part of it too. And um, when I, when I, first, when Luciano's first introduced into the book, um, you know, we would go back and talk about his childhood and mainly in the content, because I should say Luciano is in jail when he's introduced in the book. Um, and, you know, he's going through the inevitable exercise of, you know, reliving his life and, rethinking the choices that he made um you know which is a very difficult thing and you go through choices you know that he made in his childhood and as i'm writing it i'm like oh my gosh if i'm gonna tell the entire history of lucky luciano in this one section <laughs> you know this just it just can't really been done you know can't really be done because his story is so interesting um and it also related so well to what was going on, you know, in his world at the time and the people who were in his world. Um, you know, you bring up the story, you know, of Meyer Lansky and him meeting, um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting when you read his memoir, you know, his, he called them his, um, his board of directors were Meyer Lansky, Frank Costello, um, Vito Genovese and Joe Adonis, um, uh, maybe one or two others. Um, and Bugsy Siegel. Um, and, you know, all of those characters are prominent, prominently featured in the book. Um, 
And, you know, he's even meeting with a lot of those guys in jail um, because of the access he gets uh, to his capos um, uh, because of his cooperation with the government. Yeah. As I said, I didn't even know that Luciano and Meyer Lansky were, were they, they were expressly New York Manhattan guys. I mean, they were Lower East Side kids. And you actually talk about it a little bit in the book. Lucky Luciano didn't even like he didn't he wasn't even familiar with Brooklyn and didn't even like going there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I you know it's funny um, that we named our daughter Brooklyn. You know it also means you know city, city by the sea, and you know we we love the ocean and uh, we live in a city by the sea. But uh, yeah, and Brooklyn is this dark, terrifying place <laughs> in Operation Underworld. Um, and you know it just it just um you know a lot of laborers mafia run the 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 bosses there you know were cutthroat if they made it to the top it was it took some doing you know and some violence to make it happen and luciano would never even step foot there he he the first time he got in trouble really uh was for truancy um, you know, he hadn't gone to school. He hadn't attended school in like six months. Um, this is when he was like, I want to say 14 years old. Um, and so he spent six months in the truancy, um, you know, compound in, in Brooklyn. And he just, I mean, it sounded like a really awful experience. You know, he was beaten um, by guards, you know, even tortured, if you will. And, you know, other, other kids, you know, were heckling him. You know, his real name was Salvatore. So they called him Sally. You know, and um, uh, that that's why he got rid of his name after that. He was no longer known as, as Salvatore after that. Uh, that's when he became Charlie. <laughs> and even though they were hardened criminals, these guys were, were, were pioneers in many ways in the diversification of the criminal world. I mean, they. Luciano became close friends with Meyer Lansky growing up on the Lower East Side, and he said, we're going to stick together. You're going to be part of my crew. And yeah, it's criminal em- enterprise, but his his principles and the foundation of that relationship was was really uh, admirable. He said, "I don't I don't care about the tradition of La Casa Nostra or anything else. We're we're going to be together, and we're going to be d- devoted and dedicated to each other." Right. Yeah. I think there's you know. Um there's a lot of American ideals uh, in Lucky Luciano. Um, you know, he may be a, running a criminal empire, but, you know, he's trying to run it, you know, t- to refer to his closest, you know, friends and allies as board of directors, you know, you could tell this man is, you know, in a New Yorker and seeing the success, you know, of, of many of New Yorkers, you know, um, uh, you know, Vanderbilt's and, and, and Roosevelt's and, um, you know, Rockefeller's. Um, he's trying to run his organization like a corporation. Um, and, you know, the, the commission is something that he founded, you know, where you say capo di duty, capo, um, you know, boss of all bosses uh, was not something he, he kind of saw that position as wearing a, a target on your back instead of a crown on your head. Um, and so he always tried to share in the spoils. Um, and so his criminal empire was built more on partnership than, than you know thuggery even though that <laughs> was also a prominent part of of his comeuppance you know um but once once he ascends to the top of criminal organizations you know um and th- this sort of pax romana you know era kind of takes over and murdering you know um subsides a bit 
Um, but you know, to get to the top took <laughs> took some doing. But just just yeah, I mean, he he had a lot of American ideas um, that that certainly played out. And um, yeah, I, I wanted to to bring those up in the book as well, just because you know uh, it, it is an American story, and you know those themes are powerful, and we can all all relate to them. Yeah, again, it was really admirable the way he conducted himself. Lucky Luciano, I mean, you you made me really feel for him as a character, both before he went to jail and certainly while he was in jail. You know, you you want to you want to look down on gang whatever, criminals, you, you they're criminals are doing the wrong thing. But there was such an honor about him and about his whole uh process of of dealing with people both in and out of his business. Um, he seemed like a really likable, sympathetic guy. You know? Yeah, yeah. And I didn't, you know, I wanted to be careful with that because I didn't want to like, you know, exonerate him. You know, he he did some, you know, some bad things and, and those need to be taken into account. But, you know, that you do feel for him, you know, his situation is terrible. You know, I mean, he deservedly so, you know, uh, got a long prison sentence for running a prostitution ring. Uh, that doesn't make life in prison any better. Um, in fact, you know, for him, he would have preferred to have been convicted of any other crime except that, because one of the things he was also, you know, doing that I forgot to bring up is that he was really trying to pose as a legitimate business person. Um, when when you think about the rackets that they that they went along with, you know, the the main one was gambling, um, and society didn't and still doesn't, you know, have a terrible problem with, you know, or, you know, isn't totally against gambling, you know, you could see that with our laws kind of turning that way. Um, you know, they, they saw it as, well, look, there's these legitimate businessmen who like to come to our establishments, you know, they're not, you know, we don't only have to have gangsters come to these places, you know. Um, so, you know, he wanted that night and, and I wanted to play on that dichotomy a little bit um, and make him sympathetic because, you know, on the other side, Commander Haffenden, also, you know, did some did some things that you're kind of scratching your head about and like, oh, was that was that on the up and up? But you're also sympathetic for him. So uh, I like to kind of create that conflict, you know, for a reader um, and, and, you know, honest, you know, it's it's a real person is a lot more complex than being just black and white. And, you know, when you take it all on as a whole, it just gives you a lot to think about. Well, you did it. You did it magnificently well. I, I, I really uh, commend you. Um, you know, I think there's something vital and infinitely valuable to telling these stories of our history and telling them in a way that people, particularly young people, will take notice and start to see some of the significance in these stories. And thereby, in the beauty and brilliance and the inherent value of our remarkable nation and this remarkable system upon which it's founded. I mean, history is cool for me, largely because Agreed. it's mm -hmm. the stamp of truth and that when told properly defies ideology or innuendo because it's not what we think should have or could have happened but right. when told responsibly and free of the interference of any verbal cow manure mm. it's what did happen yeah and, and then then we have the privilege and ability to analyze it and reflect upon it accordingly i mean to me that manner of telling itself is sacred mm -hmm. Are people, do you think, particularly American people today, rewriting history according to their own ideological purview? I mean, we, we certainly do see a lot of that, you know, and as we evolve, you know, as a society and as human beings and new ideas come up, um, of course, it's important to look through that lens, you know, um, in 
in the instance of this book, I would say that I went to extraordinary lengths to not do that. <laughs> um, I did not want any modern ideas to to be a part of this book. I mean, you know, cer certainly ideas that prevail, you know, have been around for a long time, but I wanted the reader to experience this as the characters uh, experience this. You know, it's a foregone conclusion that the Allies triumphed in World War II. That was not, not the case for the people who lived those moments. It was very much an issue in doubt. And the the circumstances and the um, the outcome were of extra, it's, you know, extraordinarily, you know, important. Um, so, you know, I I like I like the the format of the narrative nonfiction in that regard as well, because like you said, you know, you, you get to live it. Um, I think a lot of a lot of historians write the books and it may be groundbreaking, but it almost it's almost like they're just trying to make themselves sound smart, <laughs> you know, um, and that can kind of take away some joy for the reader. And for this, I you know wanted it to be readable for everyone that, you know, there's enough complex <laughs> things going on in the book. There's enough complex things going on in the book to where I didn't, you know, need to make myself sound smart. <laughs> so. You sound plenty smart to me. Uh, and and as as I always say, the characters make the history anyway. Mm -hmm. So when you when you focus on the characters, you're going to, in my opinion, you're going to tell the best history. You yeah, can tell. I and agree. That, it, it makes it better for the reader. I mean, if you can't relate to what's going on in the story, you might as well put the book down, you know. So. Are people second part of that last question I asked you are are people finding a tendency to look back through our history these days? through this jaded lens that seeks some like unrealistic idealistic notion of perfection or saintliness in its mm -hmm. subjects. I mean, I, I got news for both sides, all sides. Yeah. With all the great men and women who have forged this incredible nation, not one of them was perfect. Right. And, and I wonder under these standards, how long would a statue of Biden or Trump last? Right. I mean, give me a break. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you 100%. Um, I, it, it's tough for some people who may have a little more connection to some of the, you know, uh, what, what do you want to call it, war crimes or, you know, terrible instances in history. You know, I get it. But, um, you know, when, when we look back on people like I will, I will never have a, I will never write about a character who is 100% good, <laughs> you know, or 100% bad, you know, uh, be kind of boring wouldn't it yeah right exactly i mean you know socks lanza is a character he's this bruising hulk of a gangster but you know he goes back home and he loves his wife you know um you know i just there's he's he's bad but he's you know does some good things and um uh commander happened in of course you know he kind of he's interesting in that regard because he kind of gets sucked into you know the allure of the mafia and does some questionable practices as well but then you look at the outcome of the mission and it was a success, you know? Um, so again, uh, I like bringing up the conflict, you know, I don't, I don't have an answer to that, but I like bringing up the, making the, the reader have a conflict. Do I like this person? Do I not like this person? I don't want it to be so straightforward. <laughs> so. Well, without, without that conflict, you don't have a very exciting story. So it's what kind of makes the story. <laughs> yeah. Great. Yeah. Um, I do want to also mention that you're a writer of a particularly eclectic array of knowledge and talent. Your work has taken you to varied and assorted areas of focus. You, you also explain about yourself 
In the morning, I might be writing about the Navy partnered with the mafia to defend the Port of New York during World War II. And in the evening, I'll write a blog about how electrical distributors can use <laughs> SEO to effectively market their products. There's not much that I cannot be made to understand except metallurgy, which metallurgy. Turns, <laughs> metallurgy turns my mind into twisted steel because my success is the result of process. Different topics call for different research methods and varying clients require varying writing styles. My process is always the journey to figure out what the reader wants to read. And in rare instances, what the reader doesn't know they want to read. Mm -hmm. um, again, I would say you accomplished that at least with this reader on this book. Um, but tell, tell us more about that as regarding any of your other assignments. Yeah. I, you know, um, I used to uh, work for a digital history magazine. Um, and uh, although the company was run horribly, the work was really wonderful. Um, and that's where I found Operation Underworld. That's where I found so many uh, uh, history stories. Um, but um, now I'm, uh, you know, it, Writing the books, I'm still early in my career. I hope to do it full time, um, which is a difficult thing to do. And so, uh, writing is my trade. You know, it's it's my craft, and uh, you know, so I got to find ways to uh, make money off of it and uh, have a career. And uh, right now, I'm a content manager at a digital marketing uh, agency. Um, and you know, it's funny. We're at Main Event Digital is the name. Give a little shout out to <laughs> to my company, but. We're out of the Midwest and our our clients are distributors and manufacturers, you know, um, certainly not the stuff that I, you know, wrote about, you know, at, at the history magazine or in the book. Um, so I guess, you know, it's, it's just, um, I've also had, you know, probably 40 different jobs, maybe 50 in my life, you know, and healthcare and finance and, um, you know, you, you name the industry, I've probably worked in it. So I guess it's just part of me. I, I do like having, you know, learning new topics, except for metallurgy. I can't, I can't do that. Um, <laughs> but that's, that's just part of who I am, I guess. And, um, you know, having spent so much time in the research process, I feel like there isn't a topic I can't, I can't figure out except for metallurgy. So. <laughs> well, that's great. I mean, I think being uh, multifaceted and well-rounded is, is, part of being a, a complete writer. And uh, like you mm. say, you, you have to uh, grasp all, all, all the, the context within which your client wants you to uh, illustrate. And, and I think that's, that's great training. You're a young man and you've got, you got the whole world and your whole mm. life ahead of you to write many, many, many books. I'm sure you will. Thank you. I hope to. <laughs> Appreciate no doubt. it. I just wanted to mention an event um, that I have coming up. You you had uh, mentioned that it starts out as a, a spy thriller, and um, I'm actually um, uh, uh, lucky enough that I've been asked to speak at the Spy Museum in Washington, D.C. on uh, January 25th. Um, the event will be at 3.30 Eastern time. Um, I will be speaking remotely. It's a remote event. Um, you can uh, register for it online. Um, so it's not that you have to go to the museum itself, uh, but I'll be talking uh, a lot about the, um, uh, the spy angle in the book. That's, that's awesome, man. That's really exciting. Yeah, and, thank you. And, I'm very excited. And you said people can sign up for that and be part of the, the is it a Zoom call or what? what how does yes, that exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it'll be streamed online um, and uh, uh, the link will be available after the fact as well. But uh, if you want to see the live events, um, you, you can sign up for that. Great. 
Well, Mr. Matthew Black, your efforts and dedication to telling this remarkable story are to be commended, and specifically because of the way that you approach the craft of writing with such unbiased diligence and focus, I greatly encourage you to continue with other historical projects. The work you've done here is invaluable in its measure, in its concept, and in its national scope. The lessons offered from projects such as these are powerful and purposeful, particularly to our students and our young people, not just here in these United States, but everywhere. Because in the immortal words of the great Thomas Paine, the cause of America is in great measure the cause of all mankind. And I believe that in my heart and soul. As I said before, there is something sacred about not just telling this remarkable story, but in telling it in an untarnished way. And you tell it in a way that makes people want to listen. Uh, and that's, that's, that's no small thing, especially for people today. This is a story of who we are. And if we listen very closely to these stories, they can also tell us who we can become. You and I are officially co-conspirators in a holy pursuit of making history cool. And I congratulate you for a job remarkably well done. And I thank you tremendously for coming on, taking the time to share your knowledge, spirit, and insight with us. And we look forward to following your career as it moves forward. Thank you so much, sir. Well, you're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I, I appreciate the praise. I'm, I'm so glad you enjoyed it. Wonderful. It was great, great having you, and we will talk some more. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Author Matthew Black, ladies and gentlemen. The book is Operation Underworld, How the Mafia and U.S. Government Teamed Up to Win World War II. Available at all major booksellers and also at Matthew's website, operationunderworldbook.com. Operationunderworldbook.com. And you can also purchase the book through the link on our website as well. If you're enjoying us on YouTube, please be sure to hit the subscribe button to get every episode. And don't forget to tune in to our companion podcast, Island, the incredible history of the island of Manhattan from 1609 to 1909. History is cool. Island Voices is a production of Chance Kelly, Inc. and may not be reproduced or re-exhibited in any manner in whole or in part without authorization. Thank you.